Screen West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Welcome back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. It is Monday, October 17th, and it seems like it's been a long time since we've actually been on the air because it has. Uh, we were away for a while. And so the person joining me, as always, that you might remember, if you remember what our show is like, is the man who's broadcasting from a secret location somewhere here in Hong Kong, and that is Mr. Kevin Ma. It's okay. I'm not really that worth remembering. Hi, everyone. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? All right. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm We're also... Right. Uh, well, oh, sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, you just asked me how I'm doing. Yeah. I answered. <laughs> You're all right? Yes. The kids are all right. We're all right. I'm all right, dude. We're, we're I'm all, all right. We're all all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm living. I'm you know, it's, it's been so long since we've done this, I think I've forgotten how. You know, it's not like riding a bike. <laughs> you just kind of uh, get out of the groove and everything goes to pot. But we are very fortunate to have joining us... In our third chair this week, uh, a man who's a web guru himself, uh, runs a website of his own, and is very Please. much into uh, all kinds of pop culture, especially culture related to Asia, and that is Mr. Michael Sun. Michael, welcome. Hello. Hey, Paul. Hey, Kevin, everyone. So, Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the work that you do and some of the things you're interested in? Okay. Um it's actually funny that you were just mentioning that we haven't done this in a long time because I actually did radio for a while in college, but uh, I guess any silky smooth radio voice I developed is probably deteriorated by now. Yeah, especially uh, with the Hong Kong <laughs> air, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay, uh, by day I'm a, I'm a baby producer at a, at a design company, um, but uh, I'm sorry, on the you, side, you said I'm you're a, a baby producer? Is that yes, like a, baby producer. a stallion or a... I produce babies. Uh, <laughs> there's that. But also, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, a little one. I'm, I'm learning the ropes at, at an interactive design company. Hmm. And then uh, at nighttime, uh, I run a website on pop and digital cultures, mainly focused on Asia, called 21st Century Boy, which everyone can now go, go and uh, troll um, by visiting 21cb.net. Um, and yeah, our topics range from every, uh, you know, range from. We translate and aggregate uh, online reactions to various events. So, for example, we've done the Hong Kong Tiananmen Square Vigil, um, events like that, uh, to the occasional movie review or you know, K-pop news story. Um, and, yeah, I've always been interested in Asian film from, from afar, I guess, appreciating it from a distance. Um, so I'm honored that you guys have taken me under your wing. Um, because of you, you know, I grow... I grow more more disenchanted with the film industry day by day. <laughs> ah, that 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 then we're doing our job. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you here, and we're looking forward to, we're looking forward to some of your thoughts on some of the films that we'll be talking about this week. And boy, do we have a handful, Kevin! How many films do we have this week? All right, I gotta take a deep breath. We have five e screen movie this week. Um, they are 
Okay, here we go. The 33D Invader, um, the new Category 3 sex comedy. Uh, Love Yu Yu, the new uh, piece of crap from Jingle Ma. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ruined my review. You um, gave it away. You gave oh, the I end. gave it away. Oh, no. Uh, the new Herman Yao movie, which is much better. Uh, the Woman Knight of Mirror Lake. Um, Miro, the la- latest film by Gordon Chan. And uh, Light Without Principle by Johnny Toe. All right. So, yeah, we have a lot of stuff to cover. We do apologize for not being here last time. Unfortunately, there was nothing that could be done. My, I had an internet outage. And the Comcast booth from where I produced this show from had no internet for a period of about 24 hours until they were finally able to repair it. Um, Had an interesting bit of an experience with uh, the tech support guys, but that's a story for another day because we do have so many films to cover today. Well, Um, you know what I got to say, right? What's that? Damn you, Lee Koshchang! Oh, yeah, let me... (laughs) Here here it is. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe at the end of the show. Um, all right, so uh, let's get into it. But before we jump into our films, uh, let's just uh, do a brief stop for some news. All right, so we don't have any official news that we want to cover this week, but I did want to mention because it kind of happened in between our last show, 86, two weeks ago, and this show, and, and that is the passing of Steve Jobs. Um, certainly a very impactful event for myself because I rely so heavily on the products that he's he makes and they have been a, a major influence um, in, in the way that I do things both at work and in my social life and in my free time um, it, it's really you know it, I, I don't know the man personally I never had a chance to meet him I don't know if I'd want to meet him because I've had experience meeting a couple of the people I've idolized in the past and uh, <laughs> Usually it's been a bit of a disappointment, a, a disillusionment, if you will. Um, but yeah, I, I have to. Re- George Lucas would ruin anyone's life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to admit to the, to the, to the fact that you know um, his products have really reshaped culture, and and especially my, in in my own life. So uh, it was you know there wouldn't be this show, uh, I think, without a lot of what he did. I, I tried producing podcasts before using my PC and and I love PCs but it's just the, the way things worked and the way that he made technology so streamlined and so efficient for doing more artistic and creative stuff um it's been a you know a big boon for a lot of the stuff I like to do um Kevin what was you know what was your thought did you have any reaction did you go out to the to the I know they were having a vigil out at the uh new Apple store that we just got uh, I I kind of thought about going but then I thought I don't want my first trip to the Apple store to be you know, to have an experience like that. So I kind of stayed away. Yeah. Um, I, the thing is, I, I, Steve Jobs passing away, of course, is sad. He is a very important businessman, a very important business leader in the IT industry. Uh, and I started getting into using, you know, of course, my major use of Apple products started last year when I bought the iPad. But I realized even before that, um, one of the first computers I had my hands on was the old Macintosh when I was in elementary school mm. when I moved to America. So it, it, it is very, uh, the Apple products are very important. Um, they did not really invent the computer itself, but they have reinvented the industry several times with their products, starting with MP3 players, um, with um, uh, I, a tablet computer and things like that. Um, of course, you know, Steve Jobs didn't invent these things on his own. He has a, he has a very talented team of people working for him. And, of course, he's a, a very, I'm sure, he's a very strong leader, uh, even though, you know, strong leaders may not always be the nicest leaders. Um, uh, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where Apple goes from here um, without, without their, their leaders, uh, without their leaders, see where, 
where whether they'll continue to make innovations like they have in the last decade or so, or would they kind of be stagnant from mm-hmm. now on? Yeah, M- Michael, what was your reaction? Right. Um, well, first of all, I just wanted to quickly uh, talk about what Kevin was just saying because I had just heard a rumor, I think yesterday, saying that. Um, Steve Jobs actually had very little contact with the iPhone 4S and that um, his real involvement was in a yet-to-be-released iPhone 5. Mm. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I'm excited to see how Apple develops. Yeah, totally. Um, but in terms of reaction, uh, yeah, me too. I grew up uh, using the iMac um, and it's been a, I guess, it, it, it's it's hard to say how, how um how 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 large of a presence that Apple products have had in our lives because we we don't even realize it now. I think we've we've become so it's become so embedded mm. in our everyday use. Um, but certainly, I think there there that uh, Apple did. Um, I mean, they didn't invent they didn't invent the computer, but they'd certainly made it. Uh, they tried to make it available for a much larger audience, and especially in the eighties when they're sort of. Um, driving this, driving the technology. Uh, you know, a lot of computers were still large and, and, and unwieldy and expensive. So, I think, you know, leading the way for personal computing was was certainly um, a, a great contribution from Apple. And we shouldn't forget, of course, about Steve Jobs's um, position at Pixar as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's one thing we do want to talk about. Um, Guts eighty in the chat room says. They reinvented the wheel, and and yeah, I do get that a lot of what they did has been buying up smaller companies, and you know even Siri it was not their creation. That was created by another right. company that they just you know they they saw something they liked and they acquired it. Um, so yeah, I I can agree with the point that they reinvented the wheel, but it was a darn good wheel, <laughs> um, you know. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Pixar, and and this is another interesting fact because you know Steve Jobs. During his hiatus, after he was fired from Apple, kind of this was one of the things he did was he created Pixar. Um, you know, the, the the story has it he bought it from Lucas for a dime, basically, and <laughs> Thank and, God. and took it and and built it into what it is today. Um, and do you think that that there that is going to have a similar legacy, Kevin? Do you think that that is going to continue on and be able to stand on its own without his uh, contributions, his leadership? Oh, of course. I mean, Pixar has a great leader in John Lasseter and great team of animators, great team of storytellers. And storytelling is what they've been all about. I mean, Steve Jobs started the company, but he left it in great hands. I think even maybe better hands than Apple Mm -hmm. itself, I would would dare say. Yeah, I I think I tweeted or or mentioned in in a a conversation that, you know, I I think Apple's kind of at a precipice. It's going to be interesting to see what they do without him. Um, in a similar way that Disney, you know, when Disney lost Walt, they had, you know, a, a variety of directions. And Disney's come back a few times under different leadership. And they've still managed to be a cultural presence, you know, building on the foundations that Walt Disney built. And I think Apple can potentially do the same thing. Or they could get, you know, one of these Yahoo CEOs who comes in and, and just runs it into the ground. Um, you know, uh, we can mention names like uh, Hewlett Packard or Yahoo or, or any of the others that are kind of in the news these days. Um, I think the biggest challenge now is how to take because because Steve Jobs as the icon of Apple was both kind of a blessing and a curse because a blessing in that it created that you know his identity 
right? One man. But also, it's also a curse because once you lose him, then what happens to the Apple brand? Yeah. Um, you, I think the biggest challenge now is to move beyond Steve Jobs and build Apple into its own icon, its own brand, yeah. rather than just Steve Jobs and then he leads Apple. So, to, use like, to use a film metaphor, um, <laughs> Apple was, or, or Steve Jobs was an auteur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So coming soon, the, the Apple theme park, right? <laughs> <laughs> so opening in China first. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, we, we could opine about Apple and Steve Jobs and the good and the bad and the ugly of all of that uh, probably for a full two hours. But we've got other stuff to talk about. We've got movies to talk about. So why don't we move on and talk about some of those? All right. So up first, well, I, I was hoping to have a, a special bumper made. Um, you know, for this uh, next film, because it is Category 3. So if you are underage, we may t- be talking about some adult materials. Um, let me scare you off with the Michael Wong Thanks. scream. Okay, so hopefully that's, that's cleared out the children from the room, because we are going to be talking about an adult softcore film, I guess it would be called, Category 3 film here in Hong Kong. And that is the 33D Invader. So this is a story, if you can say that it has a story, of (laughs) a future woman. A woman from the future, 2046 to be exact, which is, of course, the magic date for Hong Kong. Uh, We don't don't really need to go into all that now, but, you know, it's a significant date. But it's just the date that every movie uses now when they're talking about the future. Um, So she comes back from 2046. She's sent by the UN, the United Nations. So they're still around in 2046. (laughs) That's a good thing. Uh, But we have time travel, and they managed to send her back because she is the only uh, pure, unradiated woman who can bear children. Um, So they sent her back to to claim a a perfect male specimen's seed so that she can take that seed and that DNA and then repopulate the future. And, you know, it's a good thing, too, because her name happens to be Future, right? So it's um, a girl from the future named Future. This is the kind of writing... That this movie is talking about. Um, beyond that, there, you've got two aliens named Zucker One and Zucker Two. I guess are they from? Were they from the planet Zucker, and and they had the same names as the planet? I, I didn't catch that part, but that's right, um, Zuckers. Yeah, two two aliens, Zucker One and Zucker Two, are pursuing her uh, because they want to rape her and irradiate her with their radiation through the <laughs> act of intercourse, and that will that will make her in, in, infertile basically. So she won't be able to save the the humanity in the future. Um, So that's one plot line. And that that sort of starts off the movie. Then we come to modern day, the present day, where you've basically got these three guys living together. And lo and behold, there are three girls who happen to move in next door. um, And three girls are studying at university. They were studying like medicine or science or law or something. Uh, that seemed completely, ri- yeah, completely ridiculous. IT um, University, by the yeah. way, is what it's called. Uh, ba- based on their character types. Um, and one of these girls is uh, Gina, played by Akiho Yoshizawa, who's also known as the... She's the A.V. Steffi. Do I have that right, Kevin? Yes, she is yeah. A.V. Steffi. Because no. apparently people think she looks like Steffi. I don't see it. I didn't see or it. Steffi looks like her, excuse or, yeah, me. Something right. like yeah. her. Um, but anyway... 
they call her the A.V. Steffi, and she's sort of the leading lady for a while until Future shows up. So it was, it was kind of a weird dynamic for a while because the Future plotline doesn't pick up until about midway through the film. Um, so she falls for one of the guys next door. I believe his name was Lawrence. The other guys is a fat guy and a skinny guy, weirdly skinny guy, like needs medical attention, <laughs> skinny. Um, so you got a fat guy and a skinny guy, and uh, there's just an appropriate amount of girls for each guy. Um, and so let the hijinks begin. And it starts off with like a, you know, a shower scene, and the girl has a full-sized mirror in the shower. Don't we all? I mean, isn't that? Just I don't know a... about you guys. Yeah, I'm getting mine replaced. <laughs> just a standard affair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, this is you know this is the premise. It's a, it's a lot of um, well placed nudity in a few places. A, a couple scenes of what, what would you call it, Kevin? Sort of like um, hidden intimacy, I guess, where it's not you know it's not really intimate, but it's pretending to be, and. Then finally Future shows up and she decides that, you know, the main actor is, is the guy she wants to be. But he's torn because he likes Jenna and he also likes the girl from the future. So who is he going to pick? And then <laughs> a, the aliens show up and everybody's on the run. And what are we going to do? Um, so that's, you know, that's the basic plot of the movie. It follows very much what we would call the, the fruit is ripe scenario where this strange girl from another place, sometimes an angel, sometimes an alien... Um, just shows up and doesn't have the same inhibitions as normal girls do <laughs> and is very open and free and, you know, free love and all this. There should be um, more of them. What's that? There should be more of them. Yeah, more, more of them, yeah. Well, yes. th this is like this would be like the number four or something in, in the series um, if they were following it sequentially, I guess. But, you know, uh, so what are you going to... What more can you say about it? If you like these kind of films... You're gonna like this film. Uh, there's a very there's some there is a little bit of rape kind of in, in in the end, but it's like the girls being raped by a plant man. Um, Sorry, it's not rape that they end up enjoying it. Yeah, it? it's you know it's kind of weird. It's always that problem. Um, that, yes. that shaky line. You know, it's just when plants when plants get involved. It's so humorous yeah. though. You kind of you kind of lose sight of the you know, of what's going on. You're just kind of laughing too much. It's a hermaphrodite alien spewing yeah. KY jelly. Well, that, yeah, and in that scene, there's a Donald Duck painted on the wall in the back that's very disturbing. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, th that's about all there is to it. The effects are kind of cheesy, cheapo digital visual effects, but actually, when you compare this with the budget of, say, something like Sex and Zen 3D, uh, this was a lot more fun. And... I think that other than that, there's not a whole lot to offer. It's got a couple cameos by regular Hong Kong actors. Um, uh, La Ka Ying is here. And how they ever got him in here, I, I, I'm still flabbergasted by that notion. Um, but uh, Mohinder Singh, I, one of the TVB actors who sometimes shows up in movies like uh, I Love Wing Chun, uh, he's here, and he, he gets a really bad time. I, I think if any of his <laughs> friends or family ever see this film... They're never going to let him live that down. Um, but, yeah, it's just there's not a lot on offer. Soundtrack of the year, definitely not. Um, if you want to know what the soundtrack is, just go to your Apple Loops library, if you have a, an Apple or a Mac, and play a lot of those. And that's exactly what they were using, uh, with the exception of one thing that sounded sort of like a Kenny G song. 
Although I think uh, some people in the party swears that it's Michael Wong playing saxophone. <laughs> so um, what can I say? I got to say it's a see it if you like Category 3 because it's funny, it's ridiculous, it doesn't pretend to be anything other than what it is. Um, and I think it's a lot more enjoyable on that level than Sex and Zen 3D was, which kind of pushed the boundary a little bit too much for my taste. Um, Kevin, I don't know, what did, what did you think? Well, first of all, I'm going to read you the filmography of Law Karying, the selected filmography <laughs> from the last couple of years. Um, Sheng Tong Fo Ying, uh, Tigers is going to marry. I know it's a grammatical mistake, but yes, it is. Um, Chongqing Girl, um, PK.com.CN, The Deserted Inn, Crazy Money and Funny Men, um, a voice actor on Sparkling Red Star. Are, are these, are these like, oh, I know Sparkling the Red Star was, was in the cinemas, but are the rest of these like direct-to-video? I think so. Uh, the Son with Two Fathers, I have not heard of it. I hope he's one of the fathers. Um, also, uh, Hot Cop in the City and Osaka Wrestling Restaurant. So, yeah, oh, it's, yeah. Osaka Wrestling Restaurant was good. These are all gems of Hong Kong cinema. Yes, yes I don't think this will, uh, this will be, actually, this might be the most satisfying film that Law Karen has been in in the last couple of years, I would say. Um, but back to the movie. Uh, this is, I think, what Sex and Zen 3D should have been if it wasn't trying to make big money. Uh, it wasn't trying to um, build buzz and actually, you know, satisfy people with, you know, what the genre is known for. Um, I mean, of course, it's going to be a crappy movie. I mean, come on, it's 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 a movie about alien invaders raping women with their radiation to kill <laughs> race. How does that sound like ever a good movie? I mean, I don't think J.J. Abrams is going to make a sequel to this movie. All right, um, but it's only. <laughs> Super 8 too. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's more lens flare, more lens flare, more lens flare, but not on the boobs. Um, <laughs> but it's gleefully trashy. I love it. It doesn't it doesn't try to be anything, anything than what it is. Um, it's a rehash of 90s Cat 3 movie, Category 3 movie before watching, you know, took it to hell with, with really disturbing rape stuff and, and the violence. You know, don't expect anything more. It's essentially sex jokes, sex, boobs, and then rinse and repeat. Mm-hmm. That's is over and over again. Um, of course, it's all about the actresses. Uh, Macy Wu, who is the new star here, she plays Future. She's fine. She takes off clothes plenty enough. And um, personally, I think she's prettier in the poster. But apparently, Kozo thinks opposite. Um, but you know, whatever. Nah, I think I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, Av Steffi Akiho Yoshisawa um, fulfilled her duty very well. I think she was the big. You know, she's the biggest name on that cast, and rightfully so. And I think she does what she's supposed to do, and does plenty of. It. She's not a great actress, and the fact that she plays a feminist, uh, aspiring feminist lawyer, doesn't really doesn't really bode well for the law. Yeah. An, an aspiring feminist lawyer who, when the boy who just got paint splashed on him goes into the female bathroom to take a shower, she decides to disrobe and join him. That's wet, that's though. true she feminism. Really get, she didn't really get wet. <laughs> By, by the water, I mean. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, I think, sorry. But I think I think she did well. She's not an actress at all. But I think she does what she's supposed to do, and she does it very well. And I was very glad to see her. Um, everyone else, the two the two Mandarin speaking girl, also disrobed and and performed um, uh, valiantly, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, I like that. Yes, but there is one one girl. Uh, the Hong Kong girl named Mona Lam, who is apparently, right. I think, a, a model, right? But she never took off her clothes and somehow walked out, walked out of the scene conveniently when there's about to be a sex scene happening. 
So she doesn't show anything. Uh, so better luck next time, Hong Kongers. Uh, Senator representative. Um, this is the, what we call the Whitney Learn Syndrome, where the uh, Hong Kong actress, uh, wary of the media, uh, decides not to take off her clothes. It's been happening since the 90s. Yeah, that's just something that happens. Mm. Um, this is this kind of reminded me of Beach Spike because uh, it opened on like you know four girls running down the beach and it takes place on a beach house and everything. If Beach Spike was more like this, it might not have been a better film, but I would say it'd be more satisfying. Um, you know, it's let's face it, Beach Spike had the 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 makings of what seemed to be Thirty Three D Invader with all the sci fi stuff, but instead it became this clean RTHK movie TV movie thing, and you know. That's another story. Um, it you know unlike that movie, Thirty Three D Invader delivers what it promises to deliver, and that makes it one of the most satisfying films of the year. In, in, in a year where we've seen so many <laughs> films not deliver, I think, and, and pardon the pun, I didn't realize it's a pun, but yeah, it it's really is one of the most satisfying films of the year. I mean, at the end, you know, I can actually ask them, was it good for you too? And they can actually say yes. It's gonna be great. It's so great. I saw it twice. <laughs> I saw it twice. I, I, I admit it. I saw this movie twice. I paid more money for this movie than I paid Sections and 3D. And that's really my duty to Hong Kong cinema this year. See it if you're a Category 3 movie fan. Um, I really like this. This is on my top 10. Mm-hmm. Just because it's been such a crappy year and this is such a satisfying film. Yeah. So, Michael, handing it off to you. Well, I mean, you know, considering that my first film with you guys was... Uh, I love Wing Chun, and my second was, I think, 1911. Uh, this, this was high art, I think, <laughs> in comparison. So, yeah, I mean, it didn't take itself seriously. Uh, it gave the audience, you know, exactly what we wanted. And it even, you know, went, went an extra step, and, and they were pretty courageous in showing us some hilariously disgusting things for extra laughter. So, you know, but not in the way that 3D Sex and Zen wanted, did it. Um, so... You know, I guess what I really appreciate is just how um, the movie has completely embraced the porno logic. You know, the whole, oh, I don't know what relationship Future has with my friend's boyfriend, so I'm going to ask his roommate, his roommate's penis. (laughs) (laughs) Future. Yeah. And uh, in the classroom. (laughs) Yeah. In the classroom, even though she could just nicely ask that whole that whole story logic was just perfect and uh you know th- this is where 3d seconds and i mean sorry to return to that fell flat because you know all we wanted really was a you know skin flick that really made use of the 3d and then we somehow get this depraved violent like <laughs> morality like yeah uh, like morality play that like doesn't even play to the strengths of what a 3d skin skin movie could be um, so, you know, I love that the story is a shaky, unbelievable story because, um, that's what makes it so enjoyable. And, and, I, um, Paul, you were just talking about like, you know, it takes a t- its time until the, the future plotline kicks off. Um, but, and I really like that it sort of like, you know, takes its time because from the start, all the sort of ridiculous expectations are set up already. You know, it's firing on all cylinders already. Hmm. Like you have. Lots of male, you know, male, male rears. You got your mirror shots, your <laughs> slow moving cameras, your, uh, your like oil massage music, <laughs> <laughs> and then and you know, and then and then once you know, that's like that's setting it up, and then by the time you get to you know, cactus penis, Mohinder um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Singh, you know, um, enjoy <laughs> receiving something he didn't expect, and. The absurd Donald Duck painting, you know, 
by the time you have all that, you know, everyone's on the same page. Yeah, there's actually some, a couple scenes with some really, actually some decent practical effects, I would say, too. <laughs> yeah, um, like really handicraft. Yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's one scene, too. I think, I want to say it was uh, the scene, there was a scene in... Uh, I, think, I want to say it's Ben Stiller's uh, something about Mary. Oh yeah, where he has the hair. No, the hair and he, the only scene I can think of. No, there's one. I think it's in the beginning, and he zips up. Oh yeah. yeah. There, oh yeah. There's yeah. a scene like that here that takes it to like the next level. That was totally. I was just next not expecting level. it, and it was. Like, <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they they actually did that. Um, oh, I do want to bring up, I guess, a few. Um, more references that some people might not get. There's a lot of local references, even um, local pop AV pop culture reference, including the casting of um, Katotaka as the one of the the male villain, the male Zucker alien. He is uh, actually known in Japan as uh, as an AV actor for his um, I just say what his his um, his uh, his superpower. His super. His it is his nickname is Hand of God. Yeah. Okay. And of course, you get you get a whole one of the part of the alien rape scenes that he uses the hand of God. And I was like, yeah, yeah. that really was. So you have to get you know it's it's this is really is made for a Hong Kong audience. Even though the actually uh, unlike Sex and Ready, the subtitles was um, written in mainland style, mainland style Mandarin style uh, formal Chinese, which means you know it tells you who it's for um, or who what what other audience they're trying to appeal to. It it, it is very much a film that is made for Hong Kong audience again. A lot of Hong Kong uh, Hong Kong references. You got your your wonderful uh, um, gratuitous use of Hong Kong bad words. And you, you might uh, want to make mention too of the Stephen Chow angle. Right. Yes, the the guy who dubs the the fat guy is actually um, a man from Ken Guangdong, I think, or Guangzhou, named uh, Wen Chow. He's, he's really known for his um, how much his voice is similar to Stephen Chow, and so he's dubbing the fat guy. And and the fat guy has the um, a gray gray hair, the kung fu hustle look of Stephen Chow. And they keep repeating a lot of Stephen Chow references in the film for some reason, thinking that it's still funny twenty years later. Um, it, it it was almost like Kung Fu Wing Chun, except Kung Fu Wing Chun is shit, and this is good. <laughs> so um, well, it's, hey, it's a color category screen movie. I can, I can use cuss words so yeah it just a lot of these throwbacks to the to the 90s style humor um some of it works some of it doesn't but i'm just really happy about what works mm-hmm. right all right so michael if you're going to throw out a reference uh, we've got basically three rough categories for someone to see it that is to definitely try and get out and see it by any means possible to tv it that is they can wait for video watch it on tv or just to flee it and not spend any money on it at all <laughs> um I mean, as long as you know you're not you're not offended by the offensive, I would definitely say see it. I mean, the theater experience for this kind of movie is it is is its own. It it brought it to its own new level. Um, just sort of just laughing with the audience, and uh, and just seeing it on a huge screen is just is just is just perfect for this kind of movie. Mm. So definitely see it. All right, and that's, so that's thirty three D Invader. And not in 3D, by the way, thankfully. So, uh, if you're if you're out there and you're tired of the 3D, you can uh, check that out. All right, and I think we can move on to our next film, the Taiwanese film Love You You, uh, coming from Jingle Ma. Uh, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about a little bit about the plot of this one? Sure. Um, oh, it is a China film, by the way. Paul. Oh, it's China. Why did I? Oh, think totally it was China? mainland China. 
Oh yeah, totally, man. China. Um, <clears throat> does the Jingle Moss follow so called quote unquote follow up to Summer Holiday? He originally planned to bring back the original stars, but um, well, I'll go into that later. Uh, he didn't get him back. That's a spoiler. Um, so <laughs> he didn't get him back, but for what reasons? I'll go into later. Um, this film stars uh, Angela Baby, who I guess you know is being pampered or trained into being the next you know big romantic comedy star. Or, and, or if, um, if you're like me, you call her Angel A Baby <laughs> because uh, Angel, uh, she, she, she's grown out of that name. Is Angel a verb? Oh, sorry. Okay. Um, and, and so Angel Baby and uh, the the male lead is uh, Eddie Pang, a uh, Taiwanese actor. So, which is uh, I guess that's why Paul might have gotten the the idea. It's Taiwanese film. Uh, he was previously in Hear Me, and he's also in uh, Jump Ashen, the gymnast movie this year. He's uh, he's climbing up to be one against one of the biggest uh, young stars in Taiwan right now. Um, the film again takes place uh, in Malaysia on a Malaysia uh, a coastal resort. Uh, this time, Angela Baby plays a private investigator from Beijing, who uh, is sent to uh, this Malaysia resort island called Love You You. Um, yeah, I know, <laughs> Love You You uh, to um, do something. I mean, I couldn't pick it up. It's, she's there to investigate something, go undercover, uh, and and her target is a man called Love You You. Uh, or Yulala, Yulala, yeah, uh, played by Eddie Pang. Uh, Yulala, uh, he's running this this coastal resort, and um, he will do. He's essentially selling these wedding packages where he'll fulfill his clients' wishes, um, you know, for a dream wedding, which even includes dressing up as a pirate and and putting on, you know, like role play for people and things like that. Um, by some, I guess, to 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 become undercover on this island. Um, uh, Shami, who is Andrew Baby's uh, character's name, she becomes uh, a staff on the island and uh, helps uh, Yulala um, uh, figure out the client's romantic problems um, and finds out that actually Yulala is in a competition with her with his brothers um, over the control of all the resorts around that area. It's kind of like King Lear, right? Except, you know, not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's like King Lear just take out all the Shakespeare goodness, yeah, take out right? All the class and all the quality <laughs> and all the Shakespeare, and that's what it is. Um, so as we're talking about, is trying to win the control because uh, his mother, his mother doesn't want to be outcast in the family, so he's doing all of this to please her mother and, and win the control over his evil brothers and things like that. It, it's all you know, and of course they fall in love in the process, and you know there's a big twist in the middle, and and you know some. Other things happen. There's melodrama and there's crying, lots of crying. Um, but I'll just, I'll just not spoil it because I'll just start the review because Jingle Mani just stopped writing his movies. He really <laughs> stopped writing his movies. Uh, the last movie he wrote was Mulan. Uh, I mean, the previous uh, one, the first movie he wrote was Soul Raiders, and that really was the beginning of the end. Um, his directing is already bad enough, um, but he is a very good cinematographer. The film is very pretty. Um, the the sunny beaches in Malaysia it looks great, just like it did in sunny holiday, uh, summer holiday, and he's always been um, a quality cinematographer more than really a, a director. He doesn't really direct. Um, the plot jumps from one place to another without any coherence, which is why I can't explain why Xiaomi started working for the resort because suddenly she arrives, and then um, there's this whole backstory about her past with the island, and suddenly she doesn't even remember that their past is in that island. She's just like, oh, let me work here. From one place to another, 
um, just to bring you the montage of them, you know, developing a romance, but then it doesn't really carry to the next next section. It's it's really ridiculous. Um, the actors are really better than material. Angela Baby, believe it or not, she really is the best actress of the current or the Lamo stock of of, uh, of new new actresses. Um, and you know, she is actually quite good here. Um, Eddie Pang is also quite good. Eddie Pang is is. Um, it's kind of silly, but you know he fits the role quite well. He does a little Johnny Depp, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean uh, impersonation, and you know he's 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 quite fun. But and they're much much better than material. And this is not this is not what they deserve. Uh, you also have two supporting characters, uh, which is the the wet the, the married or the soon to be married couple that I was talking about who goes through um, kind of a, a phobia, some pre marriage phobia, and and the two um, Shami and Yulala they counsel them back, but they're really annoying and they they monologue like they stepped out of a Chinese TV drama. So it's just really strange uh, to see them there, and suddenly they're still there after their their, their whole whole conflict is resolved. Like they're the best friend characters, except you know they really are not. They're just two people, you know, in this two clients in this resort it doesn't really make sense um also doesn't what doesn't make sense the product placements uh there are three big sponsors um in this film one is um a groupon site called 58.cn or .com uh the taobao taobao is, is like kind of like the, the chinese ebay um the, the trip i guess the new trip site um and also watson's and i know and i know the, the first two are really product placements because i actually went on the website while watching the movie because I was so bored. So yeah, I was like, hey, look, a product placement here. Um, and they really are all over the place. At at least two places, the, the plot stop just to serve the sponsor. At one point, someone is booking a trip and we get like a 10 second, 10 second shot on the trip.taobao.com site of someone <laughs> booking a trip. And I tried to look up Yulala Island and I don't know how to get there because it didn't offer me any flights. So Taobao fail, totally. Um, also, the, the other product placement is Watson's, um, which is weird because it's a mainland film, and they're selling Watson's collagen, which I guess, I don't know why Angela Baby needs any collagen, but that's, I'm not going to get into that. Um, Summer Holiday really wasn't that good of a film in the first place. It's enjoyable. Jingle Ma didn't write it, and I think the leads are even better. Um, this is way but you know the film was kind of a drag and the romance and you know it was kind of annoying because of Jingle Ma's you know annoying TV, MTV directing style and this is really the same but worse um, and I was saying earlier that, that um, Jingle Ma tried to get this film funded by bringing back the original stars well I can tell you that Sammy Chang turned down the film because she didn't like the script so I wonder who, who did Jingle Ma scam to get the funding I guess there's a lot of people with money in China so that's how it happened um, even if you're a fan of Summer Holiday, even if you're a fan of Angela Baby, watch her in a better movie. Watch Love in Space because there's at least subtitles written by me. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying it's a better movie, but it has better subtitles. Um, yeah, just watch something else. Just skip this. This is one of the worst films of the year. Um, okay, um, Paul, Michael, who wants to? Oh, yeah. Michael hasn't Didn't seen see it. it. Yeah. Okay, so Paul. Um, okay, so yeah, Jingle Ma, get out of the 90s, please. <laughs> um, because this film is just nothing but plot conventions right out of 1980s, 1990s films. And, you know, it's like you said, the summer holidays from, like, what, 2000. And here it is 11 years later, and he's trying to run with the same thing. Um, and you can't. It's just, you know, there's nothing new here. The leads are cute. Like you said, I think both of them did fine, a fine job. They matched well together. I like Angela Baby, even though I don't like her name. You know, I just have a trouble thinking I have to call somebody Miss Baby. Hmm. Um, but 
I think but it's that, not split up, so it would be yeah. So it's Miss Angela Baby. Uh, Say all that. Uh, it's annoying. Rose right off the tongue, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Angela Baby. Angela, you know, it, the, they were fine. I, I could see them together in a better movie, and I'd be very happy with it. I, I, te- I you know, I, I for, as a genre, I like romantic comedies. It's one of my favorite things. I get excited. I was excited to watch this film, and it was such a letdown um, because it was so bad. It was much worse than I thought it could possibly be. Um, Summer Holiday was a better film, and not just because of the leads. I'm not a big Sammy fan myself. Um, and for whatever reason, Jingle Ma really likes uh, Richie Wren. He seems to go back to him quite often. But I, you know, I think that what what they're asking us to fall for here just is too old fashioned. And I hate saying that as an old guy. Um, but yeah, Summer Holiday is better. Summer I Love You is better. Another, I don't think uh, Jingle Ma did it, but it was another Richie Wren in Malaysia film. That one had a uh, candy. You actually Lowe. saw Summer I Love You? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's not a bad film. That really um, was the Summer Holiday cash in, actually. Yeah. Um, but you know, summer love, love. Uh, well, maybe not. That's better. Better. Uh, it's funnier. I, uh, laugh more. <laughs> I laugh more at summer love, love than than this movie. But for it the is. wrong reasons. I don't know. They're they're kind of on par for me. Uh, I, I I'd have to throw a dart. I guess um, it didn't have Eakin. This one didn't have Eakin. Yeah, that's true. Some, that's true. Summer love, love has Eakin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you mentioned all the uh, the product placement and the collagen. She needs the collagen because she's out there in the Malaysian sun, and she's got that baby white skin, but she's not getting a tan. So, um, you know, it's Poor, just good. just it's the, realistic. Yeah, it's uh, very very re- very realistic. Um, she never wears less than two layers of clothes. Yeah, she dresses just like a gypsy for many yeah. ma- much of the film. Um, but yeah, it's just you know. The, the ending is what's so terrible because, it, you know, the character, it, it, it's got a few twists. There, there are more twists in here than I really wanted to keep, tr- keep track of. But, um, the, you know, the ending just breaks, boils down to this very traditional, what I call the run chase scenes, where the leads are running and chasing, trying to find each other in the big, big city. They've just missed each other. They keep passing <laughs> by each other, you know. The and mall, the same yeah, mall. There's a montage going on. There's music going on. You know, and they've, you know, I hate to give out spoilers here, but, you know, this film annoyed me so much. I'm going to spoil it a little bit. They've been apart for like two years, um, but but they've just now, you know, she, she, she's found something that may, will maybe lead her back to him. And she's just missed him and they're just passing each other. And then the rain starts, you know, so she's running through the rain and, and the music's going on full blare. These people throughout the whole movie have iPhones <laughs> that they're sticking in the camera, okay, uh, they have Facebook, and you're telling me that you can't, you simply can't talk to somebody because she knows people who know this person. She can't say, "What's his phone number? What's his Facebook?" You know, we live in a modern era with these tools. You can't. I mean, this kind of stuff worked back in the '80s and '90s when you know mobile phones were not as ubiquitous as they are. You can't do this anymore. It's just cheap, old-style plots that just don't work in the modern context. Well, Paul, I hate to nitpick, but since they're in Beijing, they don't have Facebook. They have Renren. Okay, oh, whatever. You know, whatever. They don't have <laughs> Twitter, but point. they've got Sino Weibo. You know, it's yeah. she could have. No, you're right. I mean, she could have put the... an ad on um, on Taobao for God's sake. Taobao. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Taobao failed too. Um, you know, you so know, it's... right. That scene. That scene when she walks into the to the restaurant. I hate to, okay, we're gonna just spoil this again. She walks into where he's working. 
and she spends two hours there instead of just asking the waitress, hey, don't you have a chef named Yula La? Yeah, it's just so <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, and I, I'm trying to put myself on the mindset. I'm saying, who's going to maybe like this film? If you're a teenager, you're somebody who likes these leads, you'll go and see this film, but I think you'll still feel it's really talking down to you. Because I think you'll still, even if you don't have a film history where you've seen this kind of plot device used over and over, I think you're still going to say, hey, wait a minute, these people have phones. They can just ask. I mean, it's not that hard. Um, I just don't think they're going to buy it. So, yeah, I, you know, flee it unless you love Angela, baby. And even then, flee it. I mean, it's just not worth it. I don't know. Michael, what do you say? Do you like Angela, baby? Anything to interject? Uh, I was ex- I was. I was excited. Too bad I couldn't make this film. I was excited to see it because of Angela Baby. But um, I mean, you know, I, I mean, already from the. It's always difficult to tell from the trailer, but um, especially for these sorts of movies where you know the the the, the formula is the same. You're running around, yeah. and there's uh, one song. The song called "Love You You," right, Kevin? And right. they yeah, sing. They, also, um, they sing actually, that song like three times. Yes, but actually the uh, the music. Uh, the guy who did the music is. Um, a, a pop star from Malaysia that's quite popular in, in Taiwan named uh, JJ Lin. And he also does a couple of other songs, particularly one uh, at the beginning of the movie that just kept, keeps repeating the Chinese word lan, which is, you know, trash, trash, trash. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. Trash. Yeah, it, you know, the, 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 yeah, it's pretty much pop fodder. That's the music. But yeah, mm. that, that Love You You song. Yeah, that's the one that gets repeated often. Uh, well, there you have it. Love You You. Waste not your time. Spend no money. Yes. <laughs> like the J.J. Lin song. It's yeah. trash, trash, yeah, trash. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to our third film, shall we? And uh, that is called The Woman Knight of Mirror Lake. Now, this is a, well, I guess you'd call it sort of a semi-historical docudrama. Um, and the director is uh, Herman Yao. Okay. A somewhat well-renowned director here in, in Hong Kong for... Uh, various films for some people he's kind of hit or miss but for me he tends to have more hits than misses and as i've said before i think when we were talking about split second murders he as a director always tends to do more with less and i think he does that here as well he sort of continues in that mold for me um so this is basically the story of a historic woman named uh Jin, who is sort of um uh, they, they they call her a revolutionary, but the jury's kind of divided a little bit. The history says that she was involved in revolutionary activities. The film here tries to distance her from that a little bit for a while. Um, but then it kind of draws the same conclusion as, as most scholars and, and the, some of the history that I've read. Uh, but the story basically tells about her arrest and her trial... Um, and then it jumps back and shows about how she became who she was. She was very outspoken. She was a feminist. She was considered before her time. She was speaking out against the way women were treated under the, the Qing dynasty. Uh, she was against things like foot binding. She wanted women to be educated. Um, she herself was an avid scholar, learning both Western ways, but she was also very well versed in literary uh, in in literary terms for you know Chinese um, literary style, so she's quite famous for her writing, and 
you know, so it's basically her story. But it is one of these films of late, like 1911 or like uh, Beginning of the Great Revival, that is very much set in the history. So it's jumping around at points. But I have to say it's very well constructed from a narrative standpoint and from an entertainment standpoint. Um, so it, I'd say it's the best historical movie of this year. Some people have said, well, you know, if, if you look at Bodyguards and Assassins, maybe that's better. Um, but for the films that have come out this year that have followed this same kind of format, this same kind of mold, I think that this is definitely the strongest one. Um, it's got a lot of action, though. It really kind of pushes the historical boundary by throwing in some really outrageous kung fu sequences and some action sequences. There's generally some really good pacing as it goes through and tells her story, and you're introduced to characters who are influential on her and her life. And it's not the case of, say, 1911, where you meet a couple people, it throws up a, a title or their names on the screen, and then those people disappear, and you're never really sure what their relevance is. Here, it kind of sticks with a core group and, you know, some new characters that she meets, but you see the impact and you see the rev relevance that they have with her life. So I say really good pacing. It could have been a bit shorter. It was just over two hours um, or pretty close to the two-hour mark. And I, I think that there's a time when she goes to Japan and she's studying in Japan for a while. Um, and I think the stuff that happens there could have been cut down a little bit. They um, bring in this other influential revolutionary character that she was tied to, who was played by, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, help Dennis me out, Kevin. Toe. Dennis Toe, Dennis yeah. Toe. From, uh, right. the, what was it, The Legend of It Man? Yes, right. um, Legend is Born. <clears throat> yeah. And so he's brought in and he, you know, gives a decent performance and does some action himself. But he also kind of keeps pointing to the fact that they talk about the speed of light and at one point. And I, I was kind of like, wait a minute, did they, were they really that clear on the speed of light at this point in time? Um, <laughs> but they're, they're making allusions to the things that we're doing now um, will have an effect much later, you know. And so the, they, they talked about the ideas that they're discussing and, and the things they're trying to do in terms of a movement may not have an immediate effect, but down the road, of course, they did have an effect. So there's a lot of the, those kind of subtle messages in the film. Right. And if you know the history, I think, and... and you, you're interested in that aspect. I think you'll find this film very, very interesting. She was a very interesting character. They've got a museum for her in China. I can't remember what was that I was reading about it. Um, I'd be very interested to go and visit that museum, though, later. I mean, if anything, this film successfully piqued my interest in her as a historical figure. So I think on that level, it was very, very successful. Um, the one problem I had with it, though, was horses. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They really were hard on horses in, in a couple of the scenes in this movie. There's one where there's a, a close-up forward shot of a horse that just gets the feet yanked, right? I mean, I can't believe they're still using those pull wires on these poor horses. And, and the thing just does a face plant, um, <clears throat> and it doesn't get up uh, in that shot. It kind of leans up, but it doesn't get fully up. And then there's another one where they're having explosions go off, and one like literally goes off underneath a horse and it freaks it out and he like runs off. Um, it's just, you know, I mean, I, I know Herman is working with limited budgets and they can't do the CG horses thing and the CG horses look like garbage anyway, but I think they could have just done without those two scenes altogether. Um, so come on, you know, 
show some show show some rights. I mean, in the spirit of Q Jin, right? Show some rights for horses, for for, for God's <laughs> right. sake. Um, but no, you know, this is a very good film. Again, especially if you like historical films, I think it's the best one of the year so far. So definitely a see it in my book. Um, Kevin, what was your take on it? Uh, I agree with the uh, the good narrative structure. Uh, cutting back and forth is great. The you know it's essentially framed around the last what the last couple of days, isn't it, of her life? Yeah, kind of. Um, and, well, you know, it starts out. Life. It starts out with basically her arrest, which is like this big yes. siege on her compound and and the fight sequences and and basically her arrest. But then it jumps back. Right, you know, right. to different places to show you how days. she became who she was, and some really good cameos too by um, uh, Anthony Wong and um, Lam Shut, among others. So yeah, I think it's very much it, it easily keeps the audience involved throughout the film. It's a very uh, interesting structure. Um, it is really wildly over the top of the action. I doubt that any of these characters actually fought like that. Uh, you know, you have this whole you have this whole stunt thing of a you know involving a little torch that's flying or just being kicked around and you know fights with swords and foot and and fists and things like that. It's really over the top. It's really more like Once Upon a Time in China than say something like Founding Republic or um, Beginning of Great Revival. That's why I kind of hesitate to call it a historical film. Um, right. It is a very martial arts film that's based in history. In the end, they have the disclaimer about. How the entire film is fictional, um, you know, kind of like Bodyguards and Assassin, I guess. Uh, I will go into this whole topic in Well, a it is later. fictional, but it's not, I mean, I would argue that it's not as fictional as Once Upon a Time in China. I mean, that is based on a, a real person, Wang Feihong, but like what you see going on there is really all completely made up. But a lot of what you see going on here really happened. I mean, she was taken out in the middle of the night and she was tried. The governor who tr- or the the magistrate who tried her was re- had a really hard time, you know, because he didn't want to do what he did. I think he ended up committing suicide sometime later, you know. So I think they did throw in a little bit more historical fact or tried to get as close to some of the key points as they could than what they've done with some of the other stuff. I mean, yeah, but it yeah it is. I mean, it is like they just basically said, well, let's get some action scenes, make him look like a Wong Fei Hong movie. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And actually, the the, the history, history and the representation of Chojin has been a really uh, huge point of contention uh, in China because this film was supposed to come out in August, and it was mm-hmm. delayed because um, the I think the grandson of Chojin's sister protested that the film's uh, portrayal of the character was vulgar because she never held a gun, she never you know fought like a super martial arts warrior, and the way they portray her like this is vulgar. So he 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 of. Um, put in an official complaint with Sarft and it took, you know, this entire time to to fix, to fix, to get it over, to to get it settled. I think there might be some money involved. Who knows? But yeah, it, it, eventually uh, Sarft did say that they needed his permission and I think it got settled and that's how the film got released, which is why the whole historical film thing is kind of iffy for me. Um, but, you know, there, it does break new ground. It's a feminist nationalistic film. You know, go right. go figure, right? Like, you usually see uh, a lot of male characters, strong male figures, standing on, you know, giving speeches, and that's really what a nationalistic film is like. This they add also add on a lot of feminism into this, so it kind of brings something new to this genre, so to speak. Um, like you said, Herman Yao is a director that can do more with less. 
and you know he's very solid there's some you know good camera work he keeps the film going uh, it's very entertaining um the film the story takes place in several countries but it's shot on the same set <laughs> right <laughs> if you noticing that yes i was like hey why does tokyo look just like hanjo which looks just like beijing <laughs> <laughs> it's shot in the same studio but you know it again it's just herman yao making the most of what he's given and you know, this is the same this this movie is produced by the same people who gave you Legend of Born at Man, and Chek Lee Sin is essentially a new, kind of a new guy in the film circle, so obviously he doesn't have much resources. And right. I think this film kind of delivers on, you know, however, whatever low budget it was given. Um, Huan Yi is actually surprisingly strong as the lead. Um, yes. She has kind of developed herself, given herself a new career after divorce, become this kind of lead, mature actress. Uh, I would say kind of started last year with... Um, what was the one last year? Uh, a road, uh, a road less traveled. A road less traveled. She was already surprisingly, you know, strong, solid in that film, and she's already strong here. She, a character like Children needs a needs a very strong presence. Uh, actress with a very strong presence, and even though she's not, you know, she doesn't have, she's not as big as say, you know, Zhang Ziyi or or Zhang Jingchu or Fan Bingbing or your Bingbings. You know, Huan Yi, you know, really fits the role quite well. Um, uh, the whole film is in Cantonese, even though it's directed by a Hong Kong director, um, written by a Hong Kong writer, uh, many Hong Kong actors. So it's re- really interesting to see who gets dubbed and who who doesn't. Uh, Huan Yi obviously uh, speaks, you know, in her own voice. Um, Kevin Chang, the TVP actor, is dubbed. Um, but funny enough, uh, Shong Shin Shin and um, the martial arts actor, uh, Sash director, and Lam Sui don't get dubbed. Anthony Wan is dubbed, but you know. If you know, if you kind of have heard what standard Mandarin sounds like, you know that Lam Sui and Shong Xinxin don't speak in standard Mandarin. They're right. really heavy <laughs> Cantonese accent of Mandarin. So I'm just thinking, why do they dub? You know, Anthony Wong spoke his own Mandarin in A Beautiful Life and supposed to play a blind Beijinger. It's just really strange. So it's really interesting here who gets dubbed and who doesn't. I guess it depends on who had time to go back and dub the film. I guess Anthony Wong is too good for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting love Hong Kong film group discussion uh, that uh, neither Michael and or, or Paul was around for. We were talking about the film with uh, Tim and, and Kozo and everyone else. Um, they 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 essentially suggested that Herman Yao and Erica Lee are making parallels to the people uh, who participated in June Fourth in Tiananmen Square hmm. because there's whole discussion between. Um, the Dennis Toh character and Juan uh, Chujin about what they're doing now. It won't be recognized until many years later, and they actually brought back that conversation. And of course, there's a lot of parallel, like many historical films, many parallels to you know revolutionaries and leading revolution, and and you know protecting the country and things like that. And and knowing that Herman Yao and Eric Lee are you know really Hong Kong writers, you just can't help but thinking whether they're really making you know this modern parallel to to people to um, activists in modern China. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Um, I didn't really think it was as great as you know. It's a very entertaining film. It's a good action film, but I wouldn't really lift it up up and above you know as a really great film. Uh, as a solid film, uh, I would say see it, but maybe save it for DVD, maybe Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good solid Blu-ray purchase, uh, even for a blind purchase. It's a fine film, but I wouldn't see it again. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, um, Michael, what do you think? Um, firstly, this film was a, uh, was it passed Chinese censors, right? It passed Chinese censors, but the problem was the family members right. protesting. Actually, right. the um, 
the her granddaughter came out and said, "Actually, I approved the film." And you know, the, the, huh. the sister's so grandson helpful. is just a distant relative. So what he says doesn't count. So there was a whole bicker. But he already, you know, official, filed the official complaint to start. Right. So uh, yeah. I'll cover this in a blog about what what it takes right now to make a biopic in China. And this is one of the biggest uh, examples of how the problems you can run into. But yeah, this the history right. was really part of contention. Yeah, right. Um, well, I mean, I yeah, I definitely had fun in this one as well, more than I'd expected. You know, from na- you know what's now a never-ending list of Republican era China revolutionary films that just they just keep keep the seam on making. Um, and I guess, I mean, sometimes I was very surprised by the amount of nuance that they gave that they gave the film, but. Other times I was not surprised by the lack of nuance. So, for instance, I was uh, really, really, I was like pleasantly surprised by the way they treated um, Chu Jin's husband, um, who easily could have been, you know, a like plot device crappy husband. But I, I think he was a bit more than that. Um, they really managed to make him a sort of uh, mixed character. And uh, that moment where he sort of contemplates his own, you know, his own position. As like someone who 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 was born into wealth, I thought was nice. I think there's a little bit of um, there's there's a little bit of depth to like uh, the characters that I haven't seen often in other films like this. On on, but of course, on the other hand, there's a lot of historical fiction going on, right? You have like mm-hmm. somehow Japan is this magical place where women can be free. But, <laughs> oh wait, Japanese police are brutal oppressors working with the Qing Dynasty. Um, <laughs> And then, I, of course, I think it's also handy that Chu Jin's feminism goes hand in hand with her nationalism. It's hard to separate the two, which, which is why I'm, which is why I'm uh, hesitant to say that it's that forward in ter- in terms of showing her as a fe- in terms of this film being feminist. Um, and I'm curious to see how much longer like films like this can sort of are. I mean, you see a lot of them struggling with this contradiction between you know history and sort of. Um, having a safe message, and I, I can I can only imagine how difficult that must have been for Herman Yao to negotiate the two. Um, and I, even I, um, it's funny because recently I, I saw an opinion piece in China Daily where they were talking about this, where there was there were at once they wanted to claim the the, the legacy of the uh, of um, the Republic of China of the revolution, but at the same time they also wanted to say um, the revolution has succeeded. Um, you know we can be harmonious now, so that's a there's a weird sort of um, tension going there. Um, well, yeah. Um. Last last week, I think at the 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 China's the, whatever the thing they had for the Xinhai Revolution, right, right. Uh, thing the the guy uh, one of the officials came on and said it's been proven in history that the Communist Party was very supportive of the Xinhai Revolution, right, right. Sense efforts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is like, kind of revisionist. They just—they're just basically they—they, and it's like in 1911. You know, it's like the entire film is about is about Sun Yat-sen's uh, and his and his movement, and then at the end you have that that disclaimer: "Oh, and the communists took up that that fight, and we won." You know, um, but you know, I think in the end that wasn't what we were looking for from this movie anyway. You know, it's supposed to just be a a fun action vehicle. I think in the end. And on that note, I liked that the action was excessive. You know, I like that what's uh, Dennis Toe's character, how he, he sort of flies out wuxia style when, he, when, he's, <laughs> when he's like attacking the cavalry sto- soldiers. <laughs> it's like flying from horse to horse. I like that. Um, 
And yeah, I definitely think it's good to mention the actors as well. I think is it Huang Yi? Huang Yi, yeah. She, yeah, she. I think um, there's that that one scene where she had to explain to Dennis To why she decided to leave her family. This is like right before she goes back to China from Japan, mm-hmm. um, and she just pretty much breaks down and she confesses. I thought that was a pretty strong acting moment, um, and and I think. Uh, To and Wong, I mean, they're they're both sort of played stoic characters, but I think they were good sort of foils for her. Um, And yeah, oh yeah, the the time, how they structured the film, we were talking about that a little bit after the movie, but I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was effective, but I thought they could have done without playing the scene. You know, at the end, they basically, because it starts off um, with the end, with her execution, and then it goes back to her life, going back and forth between... And then at the end, it replays what you've already seen in the beginning. Um, and a lot of the scenes just beat for beat, they just replay, um, which I think they could have done without. I mean, I don't think the audience is that stupid to, <laughs> to, to, to like not realize what, what's happening. And, you know, there were some new scenes that, they've, that they did introduce. I thought, you know, just keep those and that's fine. Um, so in terms, of, I just, in terms of length, I felt that was, it was a bit excessive. But otherwise... Um, I thought it was an interesting, it was an interesting negotiation between uh, history and, and just fun, plain old entertainment. Um, so yeah, I would I would say DVD as well. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Marco Spomberg in the chat room asks uh, says I'm surprised hearing this, especially since we talk about Herman Yao. Uh, is it his best film yet? I don't think it's his best film. Uh, no, Herman Yao has a long history of being a very solid, though not great, but a very solid commercial director. Um, I don't know why Marco would say like you know he's like a terrible director. He has directed crap before, but um, he's, he's, he's actually hit, he's hit or miss. But I, I'd say yeah. for me, this is definitely in his better batch. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of the better films. I wouldn't say it's his best. Um, I don't know what his his best, but <laughs> I, actually, I, I did like you know Split Second Murders, uh, although apparently only us within the uh, circle did. Um, I thought that would be a better, that was a more interesting film yeah. than, than say this one and more solid. And you know, Turning Point is also actually just for being a a TVB film. Um, for TVB for being a TVB film was surprisingly solid. Yeah, better uh, than the drama. Yeah, it's better than it's better than what it the, what the production what it suggests it could have been.
All right, so our fourth film for this uh, massive uh, film discussion we're having this week is Mural, the latest film feature from Gordon Chan, uh, starring Deng Chao, Sun Li, Colin Cho, Yan, Yan Ni, and Eric Zhang, among others. Um, this is a film that's coming from the you know, Strange Tales from a Chinese Theater set or, 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 or uh, classic work, I guess you'd call it. Um, it's considered a sequel to Painted Skin, although I don't think any of the characters are related. It's just part of that series. Um, so it is kind of a follow-up, um, although arguably not, not as tight as, as Painted Skin was. But um, this basically tells the story of a young scholar who's on his way to take his exams in Beijing. And right at the start, he's encountered a thief who he captures with his, uh, his assistant. And they take refuge in a temple uh, where they meet a little monk played by Eric Zhang. And so while they're in this temple, the scholar notices a painting. And while he's gazing, his gaze is fixed upon this painting, uh, he notices that one of the ladies that's in the painting is suddenly not there. And suddenly she's appeared in the temple beside him. So he chases after her and he finds himself whisked away to this magical realm of immortals uh, and the temple in which they live. And all of these immortals or fairies or whatever kind of translation you'd want to call them, um, they're all females with the exception of one uh, owl guardian. Um, and he's not supposed to be there. So the, the, the young woman he chased, who's named Mu Dan, she tries to hide him from the queen. They're afraid that the queen will have him killed. Um, and so he manages, through their help, to escape uh, from, from the temple and back to the, the, his real world in the temple. But he's afraid that he's put Mudan in danger um, by her helping him. So he wants to go back in. And this time he goes back in with both the thief and his assistant. Um, well, and when, once they're there, they each have uh, relationships of various kind with the different maidens involved. Uh, Yan Nis plays the sort of the queen's assistant, and she's in charge of the discipline, keeping all the uh, fairy ladies in line, or the immortal ladies in line, as you were. Uh, and she develops uh, an inter uh, sort of a interesting friendship uh, with uh, Dang Chao's character. Um, I'd say that you know, again, it's not really as good as a painted skin. In some ways, uh, especially if you look at the action sequence, because it does have some action, but that doesn't seem to be where they put the emphasis. The emphasis here is more on the stories of the relationships, I would say. Um, but it's got a good story, and it's much deeper than Painted Skin. Uh, some of what it's trying to talk about is, I guess you'd say, very Buddhist in design. Um, and it adds some layers to the story. But it's really lacking the star power of Painted Skin. In Painted Skin, you had Donnie Yen. You had, um, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, who was um, it? Vicky Zhao uh, and Zhou Xun. Vicky Zhao and Zhou Xun, yeah. Um, and so, so the, the, the girls here are all fine, but I, you know, they're not up to that level. Deng Chao is certainly no um, uh, Donnie Yen at least, as yet. But, um, you know, that being said, I, I really liked it. Uh, it had excellent art direction. The costumes, the colors I thought were great. Um, my favorite character was Eric Zhang's character as the, as the temple monk. And I really wanted to see more of him, but unfortunately, um, he's, you know, basically a supporting character, though he has a very important role. Um, 
And, you know, I, I can't really talk too much more about it without giving away too many spoilers, and I don't want to do that. The, the special effects were not superb, but they were much, 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 did I say much, better <laughs> than White Snake, uh, Sorcerer and the White Snake. And, and going, going from that film to this film is, was like a breath of fresh air. Again, it's not, the, the, the effects are not perfect. They're not without their problems, but they were so much better than what we had come off of from that last special effects extravaganza that I was just really, really happy. Um, so, you know, it, it, it just all blends well together. It, it all comes together nicely. I like the story it told. Um, and I, again, I don't want to give away too much, but I'll say this movie is all about the butterfly. And if you watch it, hopefully that will make some sense to you because there's some things that happen at the end. And my wife looked over me and she's like scratching her head, you know, going like, you know, WTF. You know, um, but I, I had to say, I said, you have to think back to the story of the butterfly, and that will explain everything. Um, I, I fall asleep in that part? Maybe. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just really, really liked it. I'd say maybe this is up there with one of, as one of my favorite films of the year, and I can't wait for the Blu-ray. Um, so I'd say see it. But then again, I'm a sucker for these kinds of, you know, Chinese mythology fantasy films when they're done right. Um, so... Yeah, a little bit of bias in there, but that's what it is. Uh, Kevin, what what did you say? Um, okay, this is a Gordon Chance follow up to Painted Skin. Um, although he intentionally didn't want to do make Painted Skin two, uh, there is a Painted Skin two in the works, starring Joe Shun and Vicky Zhao. Um, that's being directed by Wu Shan, who is the the guy who directed uh, the Chef, the Butcher, and the Swordsman. However, you want to put that those words together but you know which movie i'm talking about but yeah gordon chan intentionally didn't want to make a painted skin too but he did want to make another film from the strange tale series so it's it's interesting that he went with a movie that uh, a story that isn't really quite uh a horror film it's really more like a fantasy fantasy romance uh like you said the the art direction is really wonderful uh it has a it has this ambition with its sets that you know that i haven't seen in a long time even though essentially realized that the most of the film was essentially shot on this one set this enormous looking set which is really beautiful but it's all on that set um and i would still say that gordon chan has lost all his sense uh of of direction or how how to pace a film properly uh the direction is really dreadful i thought um the way he puts his plans a shot maybe it's a film school talk or something but just the way he plans a shot is really alienating and and he has no sense of pacing and he can't even get the right people to do an effective sound mix the whole film most of the film sounds really too quiet for its own good like there's no atmospheric sound um and it's a very strange strangely quiet film for what it is mm. uh it's a very draggy film uh it kind of made me lose interest in the story like i was saying i, I did fall asleep uh around the first <laughs> half uh, as I always do, apparently. But um, the story did pick up in the second half when they actually finally leave the place, uh, this temple, for uh, an adventure of sorts. And that's when the imagination stuff comes up and you have some action. And uh, I thought it was uh, quite involving until it gets to the ending. Um, the love story is just so-so. Even though it's a fantasy romance, the love story is only okay. Even though Dun Chao and Betty Soon, actually, it's, they just got married. They're a real-life couple. Um it's obviously a mainland-oriented film because Yang Ni, Deng Chao, Betty Soon, they're far, far bigger stars in the mainland. 
uh, but virtually unknown in Hong Kong. Um, Betty Soon has been in two Jeff Lau films. Uh, Yan Ni, of course, the two Oswald and Zwell films. But then Chow was in Detective D. But they're, they're all supporting roles. They're much bigger in the mainland. And so it is obviously uh, a film made for the mainland audiences. And it has been quite financially successful there. Um, I'm not really that excited about it but like I like you know like Paul was pointing out the art direction is great the the, the colors are very pop up very nicely uh, the special effects was done by a company called base FX they did um, they've done a mix of uh, Chinese and and Hollywood films uh, I'm gonna do a quick pause because Paul you edit this out anyway uh, they did the special effects for uh, I am number four um, uh, episode of Pacific um, they also did um, smoking aces 2. They do the special effects of Boardwalk Empire. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, also um, Hot Summer Days and uh, sadly The King of Fighters. So they kind of... <laughs> <laughs> um, it, or incredibly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, incredibly. I, I'm amazed. Um, they, they, it's really hit and miss. Uh, like, there's the whole thing with the turtle, if, if I may bring it up. It's very odd the way that was done. Uh, so if you really want to see art direction and you are able to see this from on a giant screen which is less and less likely now because it did so badly in Hong Kong you may be able to catch it on a big screen in the mainland uh, catch it for the colors and the art direction try not to fall asleep get a cup of coffee uh, otherwise it's really best as background fodder on video because it's this kind of like that you know you're doing something you can hear it you pay attention to it a little bit on the good parts and then you don't really have to worry too much about it it's really the best as that kind of movie for me so um, a DVD or Blu-ray purchase, uh, Rento will probably be best. Or if you have an HD, if, if it's ever on HD somehow, some way, um, you know, TV, an afternoon TV broadcast would be nice. But otherwise, I'm not as excited as you are about this, Paul, sadly. Mm. Well, we'll have to agree to disagree. No, no, Paul. <laughs> Can't. No, okay. okay, we agree to disagree. All right. Um, our last film this week. Wow. Five films. That's got to be a record. Uh, we're going to talk about Life Without Principle, which actually starts this Thursday, I guess, in uh, real-world time. But we got a chance to see it over the weekend. Uh, Kevin, uh, I'm seeing it Wednesday. You're seeing it Wednesday? Yeah. Are you, oh, you're are, not doing the, tomorrow, the show tomorrow night? Um, the one at the... It's at the one, I think. Oh, that's tomorrow or night. No, is it tomorrow night? Yeah, it was oh. at the one. It's tomorrow night, yeah. Or maybe it's... Because um, the second show is at BC. Uh, yeah, it might be BC actually. Mm-hmm. You should check a ticket. Yeah. Oh, anyway. yeah. Um, I'll double check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it gets general release on Thursday. Am I correct with that, Kevin? Yes, that is yeah. true. Um, and that is Johnny Toe's latest film, Life Without Principle. Uh, so, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the synopsis for this one? Sure. Uh, Life Without Principle is the latest film from Johnny Toe. Uh, it's Milky Way. Uh, he is without White Hot Fight this time. It's all him and the. The Milky Way creative group, so to speak, the, the I guess the team of screenwriters. Uh, the film was shot over the course of three years, uh, and it's an ensemble film. It it brings together essentially three different stories. Uh, one, you have a story of a cop played by Richie Fijiren and his wife Miley Wu, played by Miley Wu. Um, Miley Wu wants to buy a house because of the rising property prices, and she's trying to convince convince her husband to do so while he's investigating um, various cases over the day, uh, including uh, a, 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 a assault at a, a at a small apartment and and 
various other cases. Uh, you also have a banker, uh, a bank employee, uh, played by Denise pop star Denise Ho. Uh, she is one of those saleswomen at a, I guess the financial advisors at a bank who, who are who are forced to sell these um, high risk funds, and you see her you know, kind of betraying her conscience and selling, trying to sell these funds in order to make her quota. Uh, and she's faced with a, faced with a choice uh, somewhere in the middle where she might betray her, her morality um, in order to make profit or to, in order to reach her quota. Uh, and then third, you have a, a foolish and naive uh, gangster uh, played by Lao Cheng Wan, who, who is huh. all about loyalty, um, who is loyal to everyone that he's sworn in the same gang, even to the point of, you know, when, when one, one of his sworn brothers gets arrested, he goes around town trying to get money for bail. But it is a time where everyone is running out of money and, you know, it's, it takes place in a financial tsunami. So everyone's running out of money and no one has enough to spare for loyalty. And he runs into another sworn brother who is uh, dabbling in underground stock speculation. And that's how, and somehow, and over the course of a several days, uh, Toe brings these stories together. Um, at the end of the film, and I, I saw this because uh, in Paul's notes, uh, Paul peeked over to me at the end of the film and asked me, hey, what, what is the moral of this story? And the answer is there isn't. Um, Johnny Toe has made an observational piece. Uh, what I wrote on Twitter is that he flashes a mirror at Hong Kong audience to show the, the kind of quick, get quick rich mentality of the people in the city, whether it's in buying funds, whether it's in stocks. Um, essentially, everyone wants to make money quickly. And um, I even call it, call it uh, overheard too, but without the, the conspiracy theory. It really is about Hong Kong people. And there are no happy endings. Um, everyone pays a price for something. Um, it really is a Hong Kong movie with Hong Kong issues. And I think you can only truly appreciate what it's doing if you're if you're in Hong Kong, you follow the the, the rip from the headlines or the rip from the headlines stuff that that Toe uses here, um, it, and if you see yourself if you somehow recognize yourself in this film, I think that there is a chance to save you. But Toe essentially he's not offering any answers. He's just saying, "Hey, look at yourself. This is what you have become," and I think mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a very interesting piece for for Toe because uh, he's he hasn't really made make a reflective drama like this here um he's kind of channeling um alejandro gonzalez in Aritu, the way that he's bringing these several uh un seemingly unrelated stories together but they kind of direct uh, they kind of affect each other in some way um it, again it's a very interesting uh film if you think about it the fact that toe took three years to shoot this without probably a script and just shooting whenever he wants to and how the magic of editing managed to put together these three years of shooting into something coherent or something as well put together as this. Um, there are some loose ends, though. Uh, I think the, uh, there's a, a, a side plot about Richie Yen's um, father uh, having a young, a young like five-year-old daughter. That kind of got brought up, but Again, it's a rip from the headline thing, but it never really goes anywhere. It just gets brought up. Uh, so there are some loose ends that I guess Toes, Toes, um, Johnny Toes, um, how do I say it? The improvisational nature of how he shoots didn't really, didn't really follow through. Um, but it's a very strong cast. Uh, Denise Ho is great. Lo Hoi Pan, you have Lao Cheng Wan, of course, is great. Rich Yuan is okay. Miley Wu, a TUB actress, surprisingly kind of hops out of that TVB acting and and into into the Milky world quite well. Um, essentially, very very strong cast, and the drama is very absorbing. Um, Toe takes a while to get going, 
really like I said, there's no music in the film. There's nearly no score. There's no uh, the film school term is non-diegetic, which is music that takes place outside of what is happening in the film. There's only about three instances of that, so the film is very quiet. Uh, but it is very absorbing. It slowly draws you in, and and it gets you the payoff. It's it's great the way he pulls it off. So um, I wrote this with capital in my notes. See it. This is I, I thought about it for a few days now, and I think this is the best Hong Kong film of the year. It even beats Busha just because of how important it is as a Hong Kong film for a Hong Kong audience, and the fact that it's good is only a bonus. So definitely see it if you have the chance. Um, this is not. This is kind of a new Johnny Toe here, so beware. It is a very slow drama. It's even slower than Election 2 about the violence. So that is something to be aware of. <laughs> but it's a very good film. So, Paul, can you take yeah. Well, let me just clarify. There is some violence here. Oh, a little it, bit, yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not violence-free, but it's nothing akin to uh, grinding people up as dog food. Mm-hmm. Um, it really takes a cake, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is Johnny Toe's way of saying that Hong Kong banks suck. Um, because that's really the first 30 to 40 minutes of the film is it's hap- it's following a Denise Ho's character in the bank and anybody who's spent any time dealing with any of the big Hong Kong banks will find something that they can identify with in in that first uh, that first 30 to 40 minutes yeah and that's where I think this film may have a problem overseas right because I think that you know, I certainly recognize that experience, but it's very slow in what it's do- what it's doing and what it's delivering. And I'm not sure if a foreign audience will will identify or or realize kind of what's going on with that. I think because he, he really takes his time and he, and he really makes it feel like exactly what you've gone through if you've ever gone through that kind of experience. And so, for me, it was interesting because uh, you know I've been there. I've been in that seat. Um, but for somebody who hasn't necessarily, they may see it as taking maybe a little bit too long. Um, but once you get out of that first 30 to 45 minutes, once you kind of switch over to Lao Ching Wan's character, I think uh, Panther, he plays the character, this character Panther, that storyline is much more reminiscent of what I would say consider sort of like old or classic Johnny Toe. Um, he, he's, he's this very loyal gangster, and... Uh, the gangster genre, I mean, I was thinking of some of Lao Ching Wan's earlier films, you know, when he first started out playing, like, the Tigers of, of, of Wan Chai and, 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 and movies like that, right? Um, where he's playing these, you know, Guwak Zai, young gangster, young hip gangster roles. Uh, but this gangster is really, really different. Uh, first, the whole genre of gangsters, as Toe's portraying here, seems to be dying out. It's, you know, it's like right. they, they, the, the real gangsters now are the big banks, Right. right. And, and, and these guys don't really seem to have the right stuff anymore to, to get the job done. And so that part was interesting. Lao Ching Wan's character, too, seems to have a mental disorder. Um, a a very simple. A very maybe. slight one. He, he's simple, and I think he's got a very simple, a, a light case of Tourette's because he's, like, always blinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I just found the, the quirks for that character were very, very interesting, and, and he played it off really well in a way that I think only Lao Ching Wan can. Um, and it really kind of endeared you to the character, too, um, when he, for example, goes in and starts to try and learn stocks, and, you know, he, he's just got this really sort of gung-ho attitude, and I, I think it was really, 
really, really nice. And it was a nice parallel to this to the Denise Ho story. The Richie Wren story, I didn't really feel it fit. Um, I, I think it, that he, it's more like a counter of the the risk like nature of the people who are. He is the more how to say uh he's the uh, the risk free one he is yeah. the cautious one and i think that's he's kind of there to provide counter i guess it just seemed kind of it seemed kind of weird I, I mean i know that he's sort of the guy investigating the the things that connect these people together but um it, it seemed like more it was more about his wife you know miley Wu's character and her you know her her desires to as you said get rich quick um, and, and the kind of things that happened to her. But you said, you know, there is no happy ending, but that's not really true. You know, when you think about what happens to everybody, um, mm. it, there, you know, it's kind of like, well, mm, is this a fairy tale? No, if um, you really think about what is the consequences of their actions, it may for one particular character is a, you can say it's a happy ending, but another, another seemingly happy mm. ending, we think about the consequence of that action and, who is still screwed over and who she screws over. And it's, it's actually, it kind of shows your own reflects back at you. Yeah, in a way. I guess. I mean, it's yeah. all about greed. That's for right. sure. But I, I, I don't, it, it seemed like everybody was, 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 uh, on the better side than on the worst side by, by the end. I don't, I don't want to say too much. Um, but the stories do come together nicely by the end. Uh, he has this thing where he does this uh, slow pan across Victoria Harbor, and that's where you have these musical interludes. And that's what he uses as the transition moment huh. to sort of jump back in time and tell stories from uh, a slightly different perspective. I thought that was a really nice technique, the, the way he used it. And, you know, there, there's, some, there's some irony here in, in some of the things that are going on, and I think he... He really touches on a lot of things. He, I, I think it was good what you said, Kevin, that this is like Overheard 3. Because he really covered a lot of things here that I was looking for in Overheard mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more in terms of the market and some of the other stuff. But the other thing, too, is it's really timely. I mean, some of the stuff, I have to wonder if he only just recently put in some of the news articles. Because, I mean, they're, they're constantly throwing news segments up... Um, on TVs and in different places, you'll hear like um, voiceovers from the radio and from news, and they're talking about Greece and the, the, the default and all this kind of stuff that seems like it's ripped right out of today's headlines. Yeah. Well, um, this could put together Hong Kong, with Occupy Hong Kong going on right now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> really, it's yeah, just yeah. really, really plays. timely. Yeah, um, it, it was put together very, very quickly. Uh, I know a guy who is actually a writer at Milky Way, and he told me essentially a week before the Venice announcement, which was, I think, in August, that they're just, knowing that they were going to Venice, they just started working on the sound because there is no music in the films that are working on a sound mix. Yeah. So it was kind of final, very last-minute decision to throw it to Venice. So he had, he wrapped, he literally just wrapped a uh, uh, shooting maybe two, three months ago and, and got to post-production. And even the master, actually, I'm always, if a Milky Way film, because they're, the, the masters are always very not up to par you know what i mean if you look at the film the the big print that we saw the 35 mil print the it's very lacking in terms of visual quality yeah. at points yeah and so you can tell it's a kind of rush job and you know johnny tone movies are always rough job uh, rush job in that you know in the final mastering mm. process i suppose yeah yeah um but yeah i mean i i enjoyed it i identified with a lot of it uh i think it is 
definitely one of the better films of the year. I don't know if it'd be my best film, um, just because it's a little bit too dark, I want to say. It's not dark. I mean, it's it's, it's hard to find the right... Because I actually thought it was going to be a lot darker than it was when I watched the trailer. I thought mm. it was going to be like dark with a really sort of heavy hand, like almost right. in the in the, in the mold of uh, Dream Home, mm. but it's nowhere near like that. It's it's actually very very light in in a lot of the stuff it does, but there is kind of a darker undercurrent message, and I think Kevin, you kind of nailed it when you said this is a mirror for Hong Kong people and mm. their priorities, um, and I think that that's oh. a good way of describing it. So, but. And, and I tend to like things that are a bit lighter and, and a bit more, you know, fantasy or, 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 or happy, I guess, than, you know, peering into the recesses of, of what's really going on. But it's still a great film. I mean, there's not much more I can say. Um, it's, it's entertaining. It's well-constructed. It's well-crafted. Yeah, definitely see it. I'm watching it again tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh... So yeah, Michael, you're gonna gonna see it tomorrow, oh, I'm, or I'm really excited. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I'm really excited to see what this new Johnny Toe is like. Yeah, uh, I I mean I, I I'm still got, I've still got to go with uh, maybe needing you uh, over this one, but that's just my own personal as the my own personal choice the, preference. Yeah, I think this is Johnny Toe's most. Um, Hong Kong film. Lao Chen once said something interesting at the HKAFF um, the press conference. He said to the press that this is Johnny Toe's first Hong Kong film. And I, w- I would make a slight correction. I would say this is Johnny Toe's first pure, truly Hong Kong film since for Hong Kongers since Help. Help was the, the medical drama that was shot in a month after uh, Needing You. Uh, it, it pokes a lot of fun at the medical system in Hong Kong and its flaws and it's a, it's a satire. And I think in that case, uh, while you know, election is also about Hong Kong in a way. Of course, there's a, a China. Yeah. Yeah, Hong Kong. It's, election two is also about China, Hong Kong. But this, this is, I think, first uh, Johnny Toe's first purely Hong Kong for Hong Konger, Hong Kongers film since, since Help. So that be right. in ten years. Yeah. yeah, I think that's and it's interesting wow. that he's doing it with this straight drama instead of you know the satire stuff. You did mention Kevin that um, there. You said there's no way this is going to play in China. Because Probably of not some of the, ending, the yeah. some of the ways in which things are done. Yes. Um, but I'd be surprised if he doesn't try and get it in. I mean, oh, huh. mm, uh, it depends on what the what the boss even punish got into China with a modify of an extra tacked on, tacked on ending. So, yeah. uh, I'm not sure how they would be able to spin this movie for China. But and you know, I think there might be some parallels in China, especially with the burgeoning economy. It'll play very well in big cities. But I'm not sure if audiences are willing to are ready to especially when cinema is a upper middle class to upper middle class luxury activity i'm not sure if those people are ready to pay to watch a movie that essentially criticizes how they got there in the first place you're listening to the east screen west screen podcast visit kongcast.com for more So there you have it, folks, our East Screen extravaganza. I know I had yeah. talked about doing um, Real Steel as a West Screen film, but we've already done five films this week, 
and uh, Kevin hasn't seen Real Steel, so I think we'll hold that one off for a while and maybe come back to it a bit later. Um, comments, uh, we had some comments over on the site, but uh, we're really over time, so I think maybe we'll save comments for the next show. Um, or, or the next next show, because I think the next show is going to be something a little bit out of the ordinary, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, uh, yeah, you can follow the show. You can find us, of course, uh, over at our website, www.concast.com. Uh, you can listen to us on iTunes, and we'd love for you to stop by and, uh, you know, drop us a review if you like what you hear or if you'd like to hear some, something a little bit different. Um, we'll be happy to accept your feedback there. Of course, we'd love to have a five-star review if you really like the show. Um, but you can also find our show over on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phone. Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it on your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support. Um, you can follow us on Twitter as well, twitter.com slash concast to follow what's up with the show. Or you can follow Mr. Ma, the Golden Rock himself, over at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. Um, Kevin, what do you have going on? Any re reviews? I mean, you're getting ready to head into the festival territory, so uh, you're going to yes. be busy for a while. The festival starts tomorrow. I have currently 29 to 30 films lined up from oh, tomorrow man. until November. Actually, no, 32 because I have the Chinese panorama. So 32 films lined up until uh, November 18th or mm -hmm. so. So that's a whole month. Um, but... Uh, I did turn in my review for uh, the Taiwanese film You're the Apple of My Eye today to Kozo, and I may write some things for YP Movies. Uh, last week, I did turn in a review for Friends with Benefits, so you can see that on www.ypmovies.com.hk. Click on the English page and find Friends with Benefits under the Now Showing um, section, and you'll find my review on the bottom of the page. All right, that sounds good. Michael, what about you? Where, where would you like people to look up you at? Um, well, you can all visit my site at uh, 21cb.net. Uh, that's 21st Century Boy. If you're interested in anything related to pop or digital culture in Asia. Uh, and yeah, I'll be, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetic hentai. So P-O-E-T-I-C-H-E-N-T-A-I. Um, and yeah, um, in terms of films, I'm, I've, I'm unfortunately not as nowhere as prolific as uh, as Kevin's going to be. I'm just going to watch the life without principle. I just saw the apple of my eye. And uh, have you guys actually reviewed that yet? Because I'd be really interested to hear what you guys. I, I haven't seen it movie. yet, Kevin. Not yeah. yet. But, um, yeah. We do it next. We, we're going to do a show in the next couple of weeks. So I think yeah. we'll. Yeah. Because it opens be, this coming week. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, be excited I'll, to talk to about that. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, and the Indonesian action flick, The Raid, which. I'm really excited for, mm. based on the trailer, which is just incredible. <laughs> um, but other than that, yeah, that's that's what I'm looking forward to this week in terms of film. All right. Uh, let me throw out a quick thanks before we go. A uh, big thanks to Rob Gubbers over at Schnauzer Studios for our theme. Ross Chen of Love Hong Kong Film, lovehkfilm.com, for organizing our movie nights and keeping us all out and engaged in cinema. A big thanks to Kevin for sticking with it sticking with me, me through this very long, long episode <laughs> and the episodes to come. And, of course, a big thanks to our guest, Mr. Michael Sun, all the way over from his 
much heralded website. Please stop by and uh, and do take a look because some of the writing that's going on over there is very very interesting. Um, and of course, all of you, the listeners. Next show, episode 88, uh, is probably going to happen, I want to say, maybe two weeks later, because Kevin's got a little bit of a busy schedule, Um, but we will have a special episode that we're going to try and roll out next week, and it's not going to be a standard episode, I'll I'll let it be a surprise for now, it's going to be sort of a Halloween special, and I'll just say that it's going to be mysterious. And so I'll leave it Ooh. at that for now. <laughs> um, but all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is East Screen, West Screen, wishing you good viewing, and we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. Bye. Bye.